We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Bardwell. To hear more, please use our media player at PCAChurch.com and join us every Sunday at 1030 at 2313 East Prospect in Ponca City. Now join us for the following message. Just rip the band-aid off and get it done. Today I want to talk about the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, sin. Sin. I believe sometimes we have blurred vision when it comes to sin. We don't understand what sin is and how it works. And so today I want to talk about that. Psalm 103 verse 4 says this, Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion? God does that for you and for me, right? He redeems us from the pit. Thank God for that. And then He crowns us with love and compassion. So I've been talking about how tradition versus truth. I was raised in church. I was raised uh, at a time to where there was a whole lot of tradition, a little bit of truth, and most of the times tradition won out over the truth. Well, that's the way we've always done it. That's the way great-grandma did it, and we should keep doing it. Sometimes we've got to understand that tradition cannot be greater than truth. As a matter of fact, Mark 7.13 says this, Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. I believe a lot of Christians today are caught up in tradition. And it nullifies the truth and the power of the Word of God. I believe a lot of churches get caught up in it. Well, we've just always done it that way. And how many know that change is always resisted? We don't like change. We like things the way they always are. During the Christmas holidays, we brought out some great old ornaments that are old as we are. And we love them because it's tradition. It makes us feel like this is our home when we hang it on the tree and, and then we took it down and wrapped it carefully back up for next year. That's tradition. But the truth is God sent his son who loved us and loved the world and he sent him so that we might be redeemed from the pit. Truth. We need to make sure we have that truth above traditions. So today I want to ask you this question. I try to ask you a question every week that, that just penetrates. And so this is the question. You ready? Does sin disqualify you from being used by God? Does sin disqualify you from being used by God? I want us to have 20-20 vision. I want us to see the truth clearly. Because I know this. Saved people can still commit sin. Any sin. There's no limit. Well, pastor, I'm saved and sanctified and holy and filled with the Spirit of God and there is absolutely no sin in my life. Be careful. James chapter 3 verse 2 says this, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So if you say that you never sin, I'm just going to throw it out. You'd be lying. If you say that everything you've done since you've gotten saved is perfect, you're deceiving yourself. Because no one can live like that. I was taught that you had to live perfectly. And so I was always under condemnation about sin. I was always beating myself up. And then when I got through beating myself up, the devil beat me up. 
And so every time I walked into church, I walked into church defeated. I walked into church beat up because it's like, I can never do this. It's never good enough. I, I cannot live this way. I, I don't know how other people do it because obviously everybody else in the church is perfect. But I can't seem to do it. And then I read that verse. How many of you are glad that our sins are under grace and mercy? Aren't you glad for that? I'm glad that I've received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and my sins get put into the grace and mercy file. And I realize it's not about what we do. It's about what He did. He's the one who did the work so we don't have to work. You see, we get into this works of salvation and people say, we well, got to work it all out. I understand. But my salvation is not dependent upon my works. My salvation is dependent upon me accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I confess my sins and He is faithful and just to forgive me of all my sins. And since I've become a Christian, i got to tell you, I'm just going to confess first Sunday of the year, I have sinned since I became a Christian. I have sinned since I became a pastor. <gasps> if any of you is without sin, cast the first stone. We all stumble in many ways. But my sins have been forgiven. Hallelujah. So we ought to give God a big clap of praise for that right there. Come on. Your sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot disown Himself. So even when I fail, even when I stumble in many ways, even when I fall down, God is faithful to me. God forgives me and restores me because I am his child. He is my father. His grace and mercy are greater than my greatest of sins. Watch this. Romans 5.20. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad for that? Now Paul is writing to the Roman church and saying, hey, there is sin, but where sin is, grace is greater. In the Greek, you've got this. You've got, okay, there's, there's this much sin happening. It, it, it's bad. But over here in the Greek, it's called sin abounds. That word abounds means there is hyper amount of grace. No matter how big sin is, beyond and beyond and beyond and beyond and beyond the sin, there is that much more, 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 more grace that will abound in place of your sin. So whatever your sins are, you confess your sins. God is faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins and we can live a victorious life in Jesus Christ because we're not perfect. He is perfect. He is the one who did all the work. He's the one who forgives us. Grace, it should change our lifestyle though. We shouldn't just go, well, I'm just going to keep on sinning because there's grace. No, no, no. It should change our lifestyle. It should change our behavior. So when I look at somebody and there's no behavioral change, there's no lifestyle change, then I have to then question really whether or not they've received Jesus Christ. Because whenever you become a new creature, you live a new life. 
You know, you don't keep being what you was because Christ has given you new life, new DNA, new hope in Him. God came to change you. He didn't come to change your life. We change our life. God changes us. You see, I've had people go, well, when I got saved, I just want God to fix everything. God didn't come to fix your life. I want you to hear this. He came to fix you. So whenever you get saved, you get a new DNA, you become a new creature. He changes the way you think. You begin to see things in a different light. He changes your attitude. He changes the way you talk. Because he says salt water and fresh water does not come out of the same well. He changes the way you walk. He changes the way you have relationships with people. He changes the way you go about your daily life. Your lifestyle changes, but he didn't come to change all the circumstances. Sometimes when we have a sin that we commit, we still bear the consequences. Galatians 6 says if you sow something, you're going to reap that. Uh, some people think, well, I get saved, it fixes all that. No, no, no. Sometimes we still reap the, the consequences of our sin, but the sin is forgiven in Jesus Christ. He didn't come to change all the consequences. He came to change us so that we then make better decisions, live in a different way, so that the consequences then become the righteousness of God in our life. You see, that's what he's changing He's changing thinking, attitude, walking, talking, who we hang out with, where we go, what we do. That's why you're here on a Sunday. Changes what you do, right? There's a lot of people who, who are not here today and, and they're, they're never going to go to church sometimes unless they get Jesus Christ because that's just not their lifestyle. I found out people have a lot of lifestyles. For a long time, I had a jeeping lifestyle when we lived in New Mexico. Uh, before that, I had a golfing lifestyle. You know, you have all these lives. Some people have a camping lifestyle. Some people like camping. I love camping, going camping lifestyle. And, and I've got a little sticker on my Jeep that says salt life because we love the beaches and stuff. So there's a salt life. But how many know that we have to have life in Christ? And we have a life in Christ that changes how we live, what we do, how we think, our attitude, what we say. That's what God came to change. And when that changes, that then will change your lifestyle and change your consequences. And I believe God does change that. We need to start seeing things clearly. So here's what I've been told. Well, pastor, I have to be without sin for God to use me. Wrong. Wrong. If that is the threshold for being used by God, then none of us will ever be used by God. And don't be sitting there thinking, well, I'm the only one. Go back and get, I just read the verse earlier. We all stumble in many ways. Sometimes it's an attitude, a thought, a word, a deed. Sometimes it's a bad decision, whatever it may be. But if that's the threshold for being used by God, then we need to shut everything down because nobody's worthy to be used by God. Let's look at God, who God uses, okay? Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the chapter of faith, right? Here's, here, here's who God uses, these are heroes. These are people we are to look up to. I mean, they've got the... And they got the big cape going on, you know? These are the ones we look up to. And here's what God said. Here's the people I use. Hebrews 11 verse 7 says this. By faith Noah, 
When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is keeping with faith. Whew, Mr. Noah, awesome, perfect, hero of faith. No. You see, he got on that ark, got off the ark, got drunk, run around naked. Read the Bible. You should see what all's in there. This guy was messed up, needed an intervention. And God says, this guy's a hero because I used him. Look at this. Verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses, this is the dude with the Ten Commandments, right? Went up to Mount Sinai, came down with Ten Commandments. This is the guy who parted waters. Yet, a murderer. Top ten most wanted in Egypt. He had to go to the furthest remotes of the desert because he was a murderer. And God now says, what a man of faith. What about this one? Verse 31, Hebrews 11. By faith, the prostitute Rahab. I mean, they just didn't say Rahab. They just called it out. The prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. She was the madam of a house of prostitutes. She was the boss. And yet, she was David's grandma. She was Jesus' great, 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 great grandma. Or you, you get the idea. She's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And this is how they describe her in Hebrews 11 that she was a prostitute and in the leader of a house of prostitutes. And yet God used her and put her in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So if we sit here today and go, if you commit a sin, then you cannot be used by God, then we're not being biblically truthful. Because God uses people that are all messed up. Look at Samson, an adulterer. David, an adulterer, committed murder. And yet it was said of David, he's a man after God's own heart. Yeah. If God can use a murderer, a prostitute, a drunkard, if God can use these people and put them in chapter 11 of Hebrews as men and women of faith who are heroes to us today, then church, I've got news for you. I got good news. No, I got news better than good news. I got great news. God can use you and God can use me because his blood covers all my sins and washes them away as far as the east is from the west. Hallelujah. God can use you. Don't let the enemy come in and beat you up and go, but you're not perfect. Hey, neither is the preacher. Neither are those people in chapter 11. But it's because of the grace and mercy of God that I stand before Him today and you stand before Him today righteous and holy and redeemed and mighty and powerful and strong and glorious and the church of the living God because of His word, not yours. Come on, let's give Him praise of a new year today. Hallelujah. 
I've had people tell me, well, Pastor, it just runs in my family. You know, everybody got problems. Everybody's got problems in their family. And, this, and usually in every family, there's a dominant gene that seems to go from generation. Well, everybody in my family is an alcoholic. Everybody in my family gets a divorce. Everybody in my family does this or that or the other. Well, guess what? I don't care how bad your gene pool is in this earth. When you are redeemed, when you have a new creation in your life, you don't have to worry about 23 and me. You have to worry about Christ in me, the hope of glory. It changes my gene pool. It changes my future. It takes my past and washes it away. Hallelujah. I don't live like I was because that's not who I am. That man is dead in Christ. And I'm a new creature. And I am worthy to be used by God. Wow, look at verse 39. These were all commended for their faith. Wow. Yet none of them received what had been promised. And guess what? You and I have received what was promised. You know what was promised? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person. These did not understand what it was like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We know what that's like to be empowered. I know what it's like earlier in the service when the worship was going on and I raised my hands and I felt the power and the anointing of God begin to pull over my hand and run down my arm and down my head and puddle up around my feet because that's what he said. I will anoint you and it will run all over you like it did on that beard of Aaron and puddle around the priest's feet. I'm going to anoint you and fill you with the power of God. It's not because you're perfect. It's because you're my child. It's because I've called you. I've redeemed you. You're my own. You're not your own anymore. You're mine. Hallelujah. I grew up being told that if you commit a sin, then you're a sinner. So when I would sin, mess up, fail, whatever words you want to use, stumble, I thought I was a sinner. And so I would accept Jesus over and over and over again. Tradition, not truth. Let me show you something. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, here comes the good news right here. But if you do, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen. And so listen to everybody here in the church. Listen to me. Live in such a way that you try your best not to sin. Do your dead level bet. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to have a better attitude. I'm going I'm to not say those words. I'm not going to do those activities. I'm not going to have those relationships. I'm going to do the very best I do not to sin. But if you do, you got somebody who's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Remember I talked about him seated down. He, he doesn't have any more work to do. He's already seated there. He says this, I've got somebody sitting at the right hand of the Father who's going to stand up and go talk to the Father and say, hey, hey, Father, hey, hey, Dad, I want you to understand. You don't have to worry about what that... 
I covered, I washed away their sins by my blood. My stripes were on my back for their healing. We've got somebody who will go to bat for us in the Father's presence. Somebody who will walk into the presence of the Father and say, hey, hold on just a minute. Wait a minute. I've got somebody that needs grace. I've got somebody that needs mercy. They're trying the best they can, but they still messed up. Father, forgive them. And guess what? He forgives us for all our sins. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But it does not give us the right to live without trying. I want you to hear that's truth. It says right there, if you do all you can not to, and then you mess up, we've got a, an advocate. We've got an advocate with the Father. We've got to try our best. He's got your back. 1 John chapter 3, I want to tell you why. I grew up being told that if you sin, you're a sinner. It's right here in the Bible. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Whoever committeth sin transgresseth the law. For sin is transgression of the law. This is the King James Version. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him nor known him. I got to tell you, that's heavy stuff. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. That's straight out of the Bible. And I got to tell you, I grew up with a lot of preachers preaching this. And I got to tell you, Every time they did, I ran to the altar because I don't want to be a sinner. I want, I want to be God's righteousness. But I would fail. And so I kept running to the altar, running, God, 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 God. And I would beg the Father, beg, beg, beg. Because if I sin, if I commit a sin, I'm of the devil. Now, I want to give you some teaching here because we've got to rightly divide the Word of God. The King James Bible, now I grew up to where it's the only Bible. I remember the first time a preacher came and preached out of a, a version different than King James. I thought the church was going to tar and feather him and run him out of town. It was heresy. I'm not kidding. This is serious. Because tradition got higher than truth. King James Version is a translation of the Greek and Hebrew into the King James language. That was the language of 1611 under the ruler King James. Now how many know that language has changed a lot since 1611? It's changed a lot in my lifetime. I mean, we used to say, cool. We don't say that anymore. Peace out. All those things. 
we have to understand the difference between a translation and a paraphrasing. We have today other translations of the Greek and the Hebrew, some of it of the Masoretic text, which is in the older text, but then there are some that are codices. Codices are the, the handwritten scripts. Uh, these have what was called a scriptorium. And they would have one manuscript. And they would have 20, 40, 60 people, men usually. And what would happen is the teacher would read word, word, word. And those out there would rewrite it word for word, supposedly. And so then it became a copy of a copy of a copy. So then you had different codices. These were called codices and they were passed around. It was their copying machine in those days, okay? That's how they made copies. But how many know that humans make mistakes? And so sometimes there are codices that are more accurate than others. And so the King James is a translation of the Masoretic text. Times pass, languages change, because I today don't speak with these and thous and thuses and saiths, you know. On some Sundays I do, but most time I don't. And I don't understand some of the language of the King James because it's their language. They understood it, but when it translates to our generations, we get a different translation in our mind. And so... The NIV, New International Version, is also a translation. The New American Standard Version is a translation. So translation means they took the original, they translated it word for word into our language today. A paraphrasing is they take the sentence and they paraphrase it. It's like if I was to say, the sun is hot. A paraphrase would say, it was a beautiful day in Ponca City and the sun was shining and the sun became very, very hot. You see, it's not an exact translation. So when we look at the King James, it's a translation, but in the 1600s. So sometimes the words carry a different meaning than they are in reality. So if you're in the King James... Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now, how many of you are born of God? Raise your hand. Come on. Well, we need to have, first of all, have some salvations this morning because the rest of y'all are sinners. How many of you are born of God? Grace and mercy. Okay. How many of you, since you've been born again, have committed a sin? Well, according to this, you're not born again. Because if you're born again, you cannot sin. That's the King James. Now, same, same passage in the NIV. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. So automatically, now you've got a different viewpoint, right? It's not just commit a sin, but it's the one that keeps on continuing to sin. Now, let's read it in the New American Standard Version. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure nobody deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. There's a huge difference between me falling, failing, accidentally saying, doing whatever, something wrong, and committing a sin, and me having a lifestyle of continually practicing sin. There's a huge difference in that. Because those of us that are born again, we get a new life. Our new lifestyle says we're not going to practice sin. We're going to do the best we can not to sin. But if we do, we have an advocate with the Father, right? So it does not mean that if you commit a sin, you mess up, you fail, that you're not a Christian. No. It means if you are willfully, mindfully, saying, I don't care, I'm going to practice a lifestyle of sinning, then that person is the one who is not of God. You see, in order to get into a relationship, you have to commit to it verbally, right? So in order to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, what do we all say? Well, first of all, you've got to confess your sins, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that He is the Savior, and He will forgive us of our sins. So in order to enter into a relationship, we have to say those things. Father, today I ask You to forgive me of all my sins. Wash me white as snow. I know that I'm a sinner, but I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I pray today that you will forgive me of all my sins as I confess all my sins to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And we, we thank God that we have now become a Christian by faith. So in order to break up this relationship, you kind of have to do the same thing in reverse. Father, I don't care what your word says. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think about me, and I don't care what you do. I am not going to abide by your word. I am going to live how I want to live. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care what you think about it. I don't care anything about your opinion, and I am purposely, decidedly walking away from you. That's what you have to do to break up this relationship because God loves you so much. That even when we are faithless, He is faithful. 
So unless you've gone to that extreme to where you denounce God, you denounce His Word, you denounce everything about His Word and everything about Him, then you're in His hands. You don't have to live under condemnation. You don't have to live under the thing, oh no, I messed up. I'm, if I was to die at this moment, I'm going to go to hell. I've lost it all. And that's the way I grew up. Always scared. Always walking into the house defeated, condemned. And when I learned this truth, hey, I'm not practicing a sinful life. I just messed up. I'm not practicing things that go against the Word of God. I just failed. I didn't mean to. It just happened. I didn't decide that I'm going to premeditatively do it. It just came about. And God says, if you're doing the best you can, and you mess up, I'm not going to cast you aside. I'm not going to throw you away because you're my creation. You're my child. I love you. And then the Bible goes on to say this. If even earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more does the heavenly father know how to give good gifts to his kids? And I got to tell you, as a son, I messed up. My dad had to discipline me at times. My dad believed in stars and stripes. He did. He gave me stripes and I saw stars. But never did he disown me. I'm his son. And God will never disown you. I just read it. He pulls you out of the pit and he crowns you with life and he will never disown himself. And so today, if you're living in this place to where the enemy is constantly trying to beat you up and trying to tear you down because you, you, you accidentally committed a sin or you did something, you go, oh no, why do I do that? Why can't I get victory over this one thing in my life? I seem to have everything else lined up, but this one thing, I keep doing God, I don't know why. And, Lord, and, I, and I feel like God just cast me aside. No, he doesn't. He loves you. Because... If he can use murderers and adulterers and prostitutes and he can call them heroes of faith, how much more can he use you? How much more can he use me? I was always told, if God can use Balaam's donkey, God can use me. And if God can use me, God can use anybody in this house. He can use anybody in this world that's taken a breath because He loved you so much that He sent His only begotten Son to give you life, to give you life in abundance, and to give you hope and joy and peace. And there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on. Somebody ought to get good news today. Somebody ought to praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Before I could not be used by God because I had committed a sin. I would often be asked, hey, Dwayne, would you like to sing? No, I can't this week. Why not? Well, I just can't. Yeah. You know why I said no? Because I messed up. I didn't mean to. Just I'm a teenager. Man, teenagers mess up all the time. And I thought as soon as I became, uh, you know, in the 20s, I wouldn't mess up anymore. 
Then I found out 20-somethings mess up. But then I became 30. And 30s mess up. 40s. But when I became 50, I became perfection. No. 50s mess up. And I got a feeling 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s mess up. But we have an advocate. Hallelujah. Come on, you're going to get it here in a minute. You got somebody fighting for you. Hallelujah. You got somebody going, come on, get up off that ground. The Bible says you get knocked down six times, get up seven. Some of you have been knocked around by the devil so much you've been trying to get beat up and bruised up and you got blood and claw marks all over you from last year. I got good news for 2020. You don't have to live like that anymore. You don't have to feel like that anymore. God is going to use you in 2020 to save others who are getting beat up by the devil. Come on, give me praise this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. God opened our eyes to truth about sin because the enemy wants to come in and lie, lie, lie. You messed up. Don't even go to church this week because you're, you're too messed up. Everybody else there is perfect. I got a feeling most every one of us can walk in any Sunday feeling like that. Sometimes I feel like that. Lord, how can you use me? How can you use me? I'm so weak at times. I fail you. I don't say what I should say to people sometimes because, Lord, help me. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I want them to like me. And God tells me, he said, I'm not, I didn't call you to be a preacher to be liked. And that's one of my failures. I want everybody to like me. <laughs> he said, I didn't call you to be liked. I called you to preach truth. Amen. Truth sets people free. <laughs> truth sets people free. So this morning, I want you to stand with me. I want you to be set free. Because I got a real strong feeling that if the devil will beat me up over that, he will beat you up too. I got a real strong feeling that there's a lot of people in this house that are gifted by God to do so many things. But he keeps you so beat down that you say, oh, I couldn't do that. I got to get everything right in my life first. Well, if I would have waited till I get everything right, I still wouldn't be doing anything. I work hard to get it right. But I don't have it all right. I don't. Maybe as a pastor, I shouldn't be telling you that, but that's just the truth. I don't have it all right. I try my best. I try my hardest. I ask God for wisdom every day of my life. 
I quote that verse to him. It says, God, you said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of the Father. Let him ask without doubting, and he will give him the wisdom. I ask for that every day. God, give me wisdom. And I got a real strong feeling, there's a lot of you here, that God has placed His hand upon your life, and you've received Him as Lord and Savior, and He's gifted you. But the enemy keeps holding you back, saying, but you're not worthy. You're not holy. You're not righteous. Because remember, see, you see this problem you got in your life? See this problem you got? That disqualifies you from being used by God. And I got to tell you, the only qualification you need to be used by God is a redeemed heart and a willing spirit. And God will help you get everything else right. He's looking for people who know truth and who will live by truth and not by tradition. When I got this truth into my spirit, it set me free. Hallelujah. Whew, thank you. Thank you. You're the one without sin, not me. You're the one who was tempted in every way, yet you didn't fall down. That, that's you, not me. But you're my advocate. And it's not by chance. Listen, me and Miss Karen didn't get along. We didn't get together about the worship today, did we? We didn't talk about this at all. But that first verse, when you sang it this morning, I said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you orchestrate everything. Can you put the words up to that first verse of this song? At your feet. It talks about Mary. She brought an alabaster box. Who is Mary? She was a woman of ill repute. She was a woman that culture says stay outside the house. But she knew forgiveness. She understood Jesus. And she brought her alabaster box filled with precious, expensive oil. And this prostitute knelt at the feet of Jesus Christ and began to pour that oil upon his feet. Even the disciples. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you know how many people we could feed with that money she just poured on the ground? And Jesus said this. She perceives more than you see. She has 20-20 vision. She's anointing me. I am the King of kings and the world of lords. And she has seen more than you have perceived as my disciples. And she took and dried his feet with her hair. Perfume filled the room. I don't want to be a disciple today. I want to be the person that sees I want to kneel at his feet and be in his presence. And I can think of no greater way to start 2020 than for us to do that today. So when she sang this verse, 
God just spoke straight to me. He said, I want you to do this, Pastor. He said, I want you to invite everybody who's a Christian, but who's not perfect. <laughs> I want you to invite them to come. Message. Join us anytime at PCAChurch.com and every Sunday at 2313 East Prospect in Ponca City.